By the time you're listening to this, the college football season will have ended. Two days ago, Joe Burrow and the 2019 LSU Tigers completed their perfect season by beating Clemson in the national championship game. 18 days ago, the Oklahoma football program season was embarrassingly ended by the aforementioned Tigers. I'm glad we took a bit to uh, decompress before recording this show. My immediate thoughts following the Peach Bowl were not particularly optimistic, for obviously good reason. But LSU's performance against Clemson on Monday night in the title game has made me back off from the ledge just a little bit. Brent Venables' defense threw pretty much everything at Burrow, and it just didn't matter at all. Clemson played a vast majority of the game with seven defensive backs on the field, and LSU responded by saying, screw it, we're going to throw it anyway. And throw it they did, to the tune of 463 yards. However, the only thing I could think of during that game was how insanely improbable this entire season was for LSU, and it mostly has to do with their quarterback. Joe Burrow was a moderately recruited guy out of high school. Per rivals, he was a three-star recruit and the number 24 quarterback in the country. Outside of Ohio State, none of the Blue Bloods came calling. His most significant Power 5 offers, not counting the Buckeyes, were from Iowa State, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia. Burrow, when he was at Ohio State, could never beat out a limited thrower, JT Barrett, and he didn't even attempt to compete with Dwayne Haskins before the 2018 season. Instead, he was all set to grad transfer to Luke Fickle at Cincinnati for his last two years of eligibility before LSU came calling at the last minute. And at the time, the Bayou Bengals were desperate because of a bare quarterback room. And Burrow wisely jumped at the opportunity. Now, if Burrow was the greatest single-season quarterback in college football history, his offensive coaching staff at LSU in 2018 sure didn't know it. He completed 58% of his throws for less than 3,000 yards, 16 touchdowns, and a quarterback rating that wasn't even the top half of the country. It's worth noting as well that every single major contributor for LSU's offense this season was on that team last season as well. So, how on earth can this be explained? How can someone be statistically below average one year and then the best player in the freaking world in a matter of eight months? Last year... I was infamously outspoken about Joe Burrow's mediocrity. I laughed at the mere suggestion that LSU could even think about being a title contender with Joe Burrow as their quarterback. I don't even want to downplay this. My official stance on Joe Burrow up until September of this past season was that he was a legitimately poor college football player. I was really outspoken about it. And upon reflection... It's quite simply the worst college football take I've ever had, maybe in history. So back to my original question. How on earth can this be explained? And all I can come up with is this. Joe Burrow is very obviously a cloned football terminator sent back in time with the sole objective of retroactively punishing my college football takes. I'll take the lumps on this one, guys. I humbly apologize for the Peach Bowl as well as the entire 2019 season in general, as well as just Joe Burrow in general. Sorry, everyone. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Winky. In trouble. Got away from one. Now scrambling. And the fumble! Oklahoma's got it! At the 15-yard line! Another defensive play, and it's Roy Williams! Huge play. 
We travel all the way back to January 3rd, 2001 for the intro today. Rocky Kalmus hits Chris Winkie from behind, forces a fumble. Roy Williams recovers, setting up the Sooners at the Florida State 15-yard line with eight and a half minutes to play in the fourth quarter. Two plays later, Quentin Griffin scored from 10 yards out to give Oklahoma a 13-0 lead in the Orange Bowl. And as you all know, the Sooners went on to beat the Seminoles 13-2 in that game to win Oklahoma's seventh national championship. I want to talk some more about this game and this kind of moment and why we do this for the intro here in a moment when I bring Grant back into the fold. But before we do that, let me welcome you all once again into the latest edition of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson, and you heard Grant at the top with the opening take today. Yes, we're very well aware it's been nearly three weeks since our last show. We didn't have the heart to record a post-Peach Bowl podcast, and then we couldn't find a time the next week where both of us could record the show together, and let's be honest, it's just been a really bad few weeks for Oklahoma football, and we don't get paid to do this show, so you know what? We just decided to put it all off for purely selfish reasons, but now we are back. And we're back just in time for the end of the college football season, as Grant talked about a little bit in the opening take. LSU beat Clemson Monday night. We're recording this on Tuesday, and so the long college football offseason is now upon us. If you're feeling up to it, go ahead and leave us a nice rating and or a review on iTunes. That helps other people out there find the show who otherwise are not aware of West of Everest. Many of you out there have been reaching out to us on Twitter in the last couple of weeks, kind of asking when the next show is going to be released. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. And on Facebook, you can find us as well. Just search for West of Everest and you can like our Facebook page there. All right. So our intro today is obviously from the last time Oklahoma won a national championship. A little over 19 years ago now it's been. I wanted to play that clip because, one, that was back in the era when Oklahoma had an awesome defense. And, two, that was the last time that all of us went into the college football offseason with that incredibly rare kind of walk on water, nothing feels better than this feeling of our favorite team being on top, national champions. And, you know what, I'll be honest, I was 13 back then, just a kid, and I don't remember what that feeling was like but I can tell you how I feel right now and my feeling as a 32 year old person is a mixture of apathy and a little bit of bitterness towards college football in general and so as I bring Grant back I want to ask you this same question Grant or uh, ask you the question you know what are your feelings kind of about everything now that we've seen LSU win the national title and how everything has gone on the past couple of weeks oh we're really going to do this huh we're gonna do this right now we're gonna get really philosophical about all of this um uh, there's no better time than now I'll I'll get into that kind of as we as we move on in the podcast I, I think I think a lot of my thoughts are probably going to organically pop up over the course of uh you know uh, of the show but no I mean I'll be honest with you, that that peach bowl um, that was my least favorite OU game of all time. Um, I, I hated that game. I hated it so much. I hate LSU as a football program. Um, just, just, just as a forewarning, there might be a whole lot of sour grapes in this podcast for me. It's not, I, LSU is awesome. By far the best team in the country. One of the most deserving national champions I've, I've really ever seen. Uh, I hate LSU, man. I hate them so much. Um, so there's going to be a lot of college football fan in me coming out in this one uh, today. Um, but I, you're you saying that you have a mixture of apathy and bitterness. I I got to tell you, in the aftermath of the game, I felt a lot of the same stuff. Um, the apathy being 
like, well, I mean, it seems like they put in all this work. They've made all this progress the last handful of years. And then they just get absolutely run off the field by LSU. And it kind of feels like they've never been further away than where they are right now. And then the bitterness, you know, I, I definitely feel that too, because I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm still, f- the, the fact that LSU is so good, I'm, I'm bitter about it. I, I really am. And I don't really know why. I don't know if I any, have any right to feel that way. Uh, but it is how I feel. I, I just, I really hate LSU's football program. Like a lot. I've had this kind of thought kind of swirling around in my head really leading up even before the Peach Bowl. And we've talked about it a little bit, I think, on previous podcasts. And so I haven't thought fully about this, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I think a, a reason why maybe you feel this way towards LSU, and I, I kind of feel the same way, because obviously as supporters of Oklahoma football, you, know, you follow this team a lot, lot cl- more closely than I have uh, before we started doing this podcast, back before the 2017 season, you know, I've been incredibly engaged, obviously, since then, working in Oklahoma City, covering the team for News 9 in Oklahoma City. So, uh, But it's been the same, though, for Oklahoma, really, since, since Bob Stoops got there. It's been a team, for the most part, that has had fantastic offenses, with the exception of a couple seasons here and there where it just didn't live up to standards. And just the last handful of years, we saw Baker Mayfield for three years, you know, 16, 17, or I guess 15, 16, and 17, and then obviously his best year in 17 when Oklahoma made the playoff. He won the Heisman. We saw Kyler Murray for the one year, and, you know, with the, the influx, and you throw Lincoln Riley in there and his creativity, and what he's been able to get out of this, this offense, and it's, and it's been the best offense in college football. Statistically, even – up until this past year, and they were right there with LSU. I mean, it was basically neck and neck statistically. So Oklahoma's had this offense for all these years, but you know we've always talked about this since this podcast began. The defense has been terrible. Oklahoma's defense has been awful. And that has been basically the reason why Oklahoma has not won another national championship, because the offense has been above elite, better than elite. And so the reason why LSU is so frustrating is that they've had an elite awesome defense for all these years they've been able to play great defensive football and we all know that they have had a terrible rudimentary offense and yet they still have found ways to win national championships whether it was over over Oklahoma back in the early 2000s whether it was with less miles in a, a random year in, in mid 2000s they've been able to win these these titles and it's mainly been mainly been because of defense and all of a sudden LSU gets out of nowhere in less than a year you talked about it in your opening take this elite, otherworldly offense that, honestly, turns out it was better than Oklahoma's offense in 2017 and 2018. And the reason probably is because more talent, better receivers. Joe Burrow had a better season this year than Baker Mayfield had, than, than Kyler Murray had. And it was like there was no lead-up to it. It was just they kind of just snapped their fingers. Joe Brady comes in and all that talent around, and it worked. And you're throwing the fact that the defense, it wasn't an all-time great LSU defense, but it was a defense that still had all that five-star talent, a lot of four-star players, I mean, and yeah, Dave Rand is a really good coach. Not, not the best LSU defense, but a ton of, of NFL players on that defense. A ton. Yes. Yeah, and so it's just this mixture of how, as Oklahoma, uh, I'll say, as Oklahoma fans, you, know, you, you watch all this for all these years, and you see the offense be so good. And it's like, why can't they figure out the defense? It's not that hard. And... 
LSU's able to do this, and they had zero growing pains in the one year they do it. They do it for one year, and there wasn't a situation or a scenario wherever they – it seemed like every time there was for Oklahoma, the offense would be fantastic, like go back to 2008, and then they'd run into some hiccups against Florida in the national championship game, and they, they couldn't punch the ball in in the red zone. And even though the offense was fantastic, they couldn't score enough touchdowns. You go back to the Rose Bowl. The first half was fantastic, but then Georgia adjusts and Oklahoma kind of goes away from some of its principles and starts to kind of sit back and they didn't take the fight as much to, to Georgia and they didn't come up big in the second half and they only scored seven offensive points, I think it was, plus, of course, they had the fumble return touchdown. LSU, yeah, I guess you could say maybe for the first quarter-ish of the Clemson game. Uh, I mean, Clemson was winning 17-7, to so I guess they had a little bit of adversity, but it didn't matter. They ended up clicking, and they put up 42 against the Clemson defense that's been elite for, you know, the last handful of seasons. And so I think that's probably a big reason why I am feeling so bitter towards LSU that this fan base has seen this terrible offense for their entire lives. And then for the first year, they actually get a real passing offense, and it's it's the best offense we've seen maybe, I don't know, maybe ever. And they had no problems. They had no issues, and it was easy for them. And I think that's why I'm annoyed, I think, and I still haven't put all my thoughts together, but maybe that's a a big reason why also you're feeling the way you are. 2019 LSU exists solely to torment and troll Oklahoma fans. (laughs) <laughs> and like and and I know that that's me just You might have a point there. I, I'm just I'm obviously joking, but it's when you actually go through it and you go you just go uh, down the line of uh, just everything that they pulled off this year and just sort of kind of how um how it sort of reflects what OU has done in the past except everywhere where OU went wrong in those previous years with those amazing offenses not paired with those great defenses, LSU was was perfect in those regards. And so, like, I, I guess the I, I think I mentioned before the Peach Bowl that this LSU team, um, maybe not in style, but in the way that they beat opponents, they really reminded me of of the 2008 OU team um, that was just really explosive. Um, was uh, any way they wanted to beat you, they could, and they could score a lot of points doing it. Their defense gave up a lot of yards because they were up a lot of the time, and a lot of people thought maybe their defense wasn't as good as it was, but their defense was actually pretty darn good, uh, almost exactly like LSU. But you know, the, the um, I think the one difference between this year's LSU and that OU team, this LSU team, they had they have first they have they have three maybe first round wide receivers on their team. Uh, and I think that was the fatal flaw of that 2008 OU team. And they probably, that 2008 OU team also had injuries, and this LSU team was perfectly healthy the entire season. Um, well, with the exception of Clyde edwards Lair against Oklahoma, but it didn't matter. But it, it didn't matter. Um, and then also just the, just the unbelievable fortune of LSU as a program that they've played a national championship game in New Orleans, in their backyard, literally Every single year it's ever been played there. I mean, come on. And didn't they lose the game to Bama? Was that the year where they got shut up by Bama? Yeah, yeah I they think did. it was in New Orleans they, they, that they year. Did. But and I mean, I, that. And I bet, you know what? I bet there's a lot of LSU fans out there who are saying, well, hey, man, this season was payback for how, you know, for, uh, for how, you know, for how painful that game was for LSU fans. But then I would, you know, I, I, I would argue that. I feel like LSU, they used up pretty much an entire lifetime's worth of luck in that 2007 season. Um, but it is what, I mean, LSU, they, they are what they are. They're, they are an incredibly fortunate program that has taken advantage of every break they have ever gotten. 
ever. <laughs> ever, ever. Um, all right, so here's what I want to do. We have obviously have not talked about the Peach Bowl yet, and it's been almost three weeks since that game. I went back, I, you know, after watching the title game Monday, I kind of thought to myself, you know, seeing LSU put up 40-plus against Clemson's defense. You know, before that game, I was thinking I'm going to go back and I'm going to actually study the Peach Bowl and, and really get an idea of kind of what Oklahoma did defensively, even with, I know, people being out and then, uh, you know, some injuries and whatnot. But then I saw LSU score 40-plus. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that because, I mean, if Clemson couldn't really figure it out, then it's not that surprising that Oklahoma – uh, shorthanded was not going to do anything against LSU. But what I did do, though, is I went back and I kind of did the same thing that we've done a handful of times this year. I watched, I took notes. And so I know you haven't watched the game back. So I'm going to be bringing stuff up and then it'll jog your memory and then you can comment on it. And so I basically watched the game up until it was over, until it wasn't competitive anymore. And that's 28 to 7 or 35 to 7 if you want to get even more concrete because uh, at 28 to 7 Oklahoma still had a chance technically to have you know, cut it to a two-score lead but that's when Jalen Hurts threw that interception on the trick play and then LSU went down to make it a 35 to 7 game and it was most definitely over and so I think it's important to go through and people want to hear our thoughts on it and you know there'll probably be parts of this game that you've put out of your brain that I'll bring up and you'll think oh come on yeah and so it could be a fun exercise yeah and that's then, I mean th- yeah. the game was absurd I mean, it was a stupid game. LSU played out of their minds. I mean, they played an amazing game. And they also just pulled a bunch of crap out of their butt, too. And so it was just it was just silly. It was a silly and game. And meanwhile, there was about four to five times where Oklahoma either didn't get a break or didn't make a play. And whenever you're Oklahoma and you have such a small margin of error, you got to make the plays. And, and you can't get by without it, whereas LSU... Even if they miss something here and there, they can probably make up for it later. And as I go through some of this, and we're going to have to go quick because um, I, have a, I have a hard out, as they say in the business. So I'll probably have to skip through a lot of the stuff, maybe not get to as many things as I want. And we may not be able to get to as many things on this show as, as we kind of thought we would, but we'll see where we go. Uh, we want to cover, just to kind of give you a quick roadmap, I know we're 15 minutes in roughly or more, but you know, we'll talk about the Peach Bowl at least you know until, until it was over. I know Sydney, one of our most loyal listeners, had a comment on Facebook asking about Jalen Hurts and our thoughts about Hurts now that his time at Oklahoma is over. And And I'll read something from, from Sydney, his thoughts, and then we can talk a little bit about Jalen. And I'm sure we'll talk about him during the, the Peach Bowl talk as well. Maybe we'll do a couple three-word reviews. I know it's kind of past that. The game's been over with, but we always do three-word reviews. I know you guys like to hear that every once in a while. So I'll pick out just a few. Grant, I'll pick out a few. And then after that, I we might have to save some of the other stuff for – another show because I, I think we're gonna run out of time just throwing it out there so, uh, so first off uh here's where i want to start so I'll, I'll lead through this grant because i know again you you haven't really rewatched it and you know lsu uh, scores first seven nothing and oklahoma got the ball first and for off the bat i i kind of watched that first series i was texting you the other day and i had so many thoughts and notes and you know i just kind of threw it out it's like you know what this is going to take too long if i'm this in depth so here's where i want where i want to start after it's 7 nothing, Oklahoma's second series of the game, and I mentioned Jalen Hurts a moment ago, and I guess this is going to start kind of a, maybe a bit of a talk about Jalen Hurts, and we'll see where it goes. I noticed on this, it was second down and 11. It's a play-action pass, and Jalen Hurts is looking to his right. He's staring down Jaden Hazelwood to the boundary. And on the field side, so to Hurts' left, you got C.D. Lamb 
running a 10-yard out, and he turns, and he's wide open. You kind of see him kind of looking around, putting his hands up. And the reason he's wide open is because Charleston Rambo had run a fade and run a go route, if you will, and cleared out that man-covered cornerback that we talked about all the time leading up to this game that LSU plays exclusively man on the outside with their corners. And Hertz just needs to go through his progressions, just kind of look to his left, and it's an easy pitch and catch first down to C.D. Lamb. But instead, he keeps staring down, staring down Jaden Hazelwood, and then throws a terrible ball over Hazelwood's head that almost gets intercepted. And there's three LSU defenders around the area. And uh, it just it, it was such a bizarre play that at the time I didn't think much of. But going back and rewatching it, it stood out greatly to me. And it's not like he had to rush the throw. It was great pass protection. I, I actually timed it on my phone. He had almost five full seconds to throw the ball before he actually let go. And he, even if he wouldn't have thrown it there, he still probably had a second and a half before LSU was going to get there. So it's not like he was rushing through stuff. And so that play... I think it was the fifth snap of the game. In my head, I think, you know what, that's in, after the fact rewatching that in a nutshell to me kind of just shows and tells me that Jalen Hurts just doesn't really, he just didn't really get it. And, you know, again, how many times did I tell you the podcast listeners before this game? We watched, and you saw it too. We watched film on uh, all season long. LSU's corners play straight man coverage on the outside exclusively. That's what they do. And, if we saw it, that means Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley, they all should have seen it as well. And so knowing that Charleston Rambo was running a go route there, Hurts in his head, he should have anticipated that on this play, that Rambo would run that corner out of the play, and that he knew that Lamb was running that out route, there'd be a ton of space there. And there was. And Hurts didn't even look over to it because for whatever reason, and I think I was going to talk about this later in the show, but I think Lincoln Riley kind of towards the end of the year especially was drawing up one-read plays for Jalen Hurts because he he can't go through his progressions. And I bet that was a one-read thing, and it was all Hazelwood, and he threw it, whereas if he just would have looked to the left and had the ability to go through progressions and or even pre-snap would have recognized that, hey, I, I got CD running out here. I know Charleston's running a go. There's probably going to be a ton of space for me to just throw this out to CD with a ton of room to run. But no, it just it didn't even register. And right off the bat, almost, it's like, OK, this this is not going to be a good game for Oklahoma. And that play probably doesn't stand out to you because it was an incomplete pass and you just move on. But that just kind of plays and, and shows show to me that, OK, this is he just he wasn't seeing the field like, obviously, as we knew, guys like Baker Mayfield and uh, and Kyler Murray and I don't know if you have anything to add since you don't know what play I'm talking about I, I can move on but no I mean uh, once I on that very first drive uh, when OU went three and out once I kind of I just it was just three plays once I sort of realized what LSU's game plan was going to be I figured they they were in a lot of trouble um, and their game plan essentially was just play man across the board spy hurts shut down the run that's all they did Make Hurts beat you through the air. <laughs> and it worked exceptionally well for them. Yeah. So uh, so I'll move on from that. And, and you know, Oklahoma's down 7 nothing. Um, they punt the ball back to LSU in danger of going down two scores. But this is Oklahoma defense steps up, gets a three and out. And just like that, Oklahoma has the football back just down a touchdown. And that's the series where you get the 50-yard bomb to C.D. Lamb and then the Kennedy Brooks touchdown run. And... It's seven to seven and brand new ball game. Okay. Like you're feeling pretty good, right? So 
I have this next play starred, and this is the first of a, a handful of plays, I think, where it's like if it goes a different way or, you know, who knows what could have happened. But LSU gets the ball back. They're moving the ball pretty easily. They get into Oklahoma territory. It's first and 10 at the Oklahoma 30. And Burrow targets Parnell Motley. And Parnell Motley almost picks it off. And unfortunately, the replay of the television was a terrible angle. But I think that Motley should have intercepted that ball. And, you know, all credit to him. He had a great game. He played really well. But those are just the plays that Oklahoma, for the most part, defensively just did not make this season. We all know about the turnovers. They just didn't come enough. And that's a game-changing play. I mean, Oklahoma gets a takeaway. The game is tied, has the football. I mean, who knows? Uh, Instead, though, it's second down and 10, and LSU still has the football. So, I mean, do you remember that play? Yes, I do. Uh, I remember when... When it happened live, thinking there was like no way he could have picked it off. But I haven't rewatched it, so I'll take your word for it. I mean, the angle they showed was like a pylon cam look, and he broke on the ball, and it looked like he got one, maybe two hands on it. And it was just like he kind of had to put his hands obviously in front of the receiver. So it wasn't an easy, like right to him catch, but it's just one of those things where it's the great players make great plays. It's a cliche, but it's true. It, when it's presented to you, you got to make it. And on, for the most part, all year, Oklahoma just did not do it. I mean, there was times in the middle of the season or late in the year, Grant, remember where we just basically kind of gave up on it? It's like the other team is basically giving Oklahoma the ball sometimes, uh, the offense, and Oklahoma still is, is dropping it or not recovering a fumble. And it's like, you know what? If, you're, if they're going to give it to you and you're still not taking it, I can't help you. I can't defend this anymore. <sighs> so uh, and uh, I'm reading this. I mean, I was talking to Dusty after the game and I asked him if he talked to the assistant coaches and he said oh yeah I talked to the assistants I talked to the, I talked to the head coach and and you know I I asked him about the defense and kind of like what their thoughts were and he said yeah they didn't make any excuses about people being out didn't make any issues it's just you know he said you know they threw the kitchen sink at him and uh honestly the most surprising thing Dusty said is that you know they didn't he didn't say any specific but he specifically just I know assistant coaches and he, I know he, I mean he talks to Lincoln Riley every once in a while he said that they, they didn't think or they didn't anticipate LSU's offense being as good as it was, which I wish I would have pressed Dusty more on that because, like, how, how do you not anticipate? I mean, they're watch on tape. They're awesome. They're great. Uh, but the reason I bring this up, though, is I, I, was, I said, hey, why didn't they do the things that kind of slowed LSU in the regular season, which we talked about multiple times on the podcast leading up to the game, which is rush three or rush four. You spy Burrow and you got to play man and you got to go dime. And some teams went seven defensive backs, like Clemson did sometimes. And I know Auburn did, and Alabama did every once in a while. But not once, Oklahoma didn't even employ a dime in the game. And Oklahoma did exactly what it did all year. It played a shell. It, it showed you two, a, a cover two shell pre-snap. And then they shifted to man-free at the snap. And, again, we've seen that all season long, mixing in some, like, cover two, actual like, zone defense randomly here and there, which we saw Oklahoma get burned on multiple times in the Big 12 title game on those deep pass plays where I was saying, why are you playing cover two on third and long? Why It's dumb. Don't do it. But that's what Oklahoma did this year. That's what Alex Grinch thought was the best way. And what happens, as you guys all saw in the game, when you play that kind of style with that two-shell kind of shift to man free at the snap you put your safeties constantly in tough spots and they're playing with a bunch of cushion they have their momentum coming forward at the snap to take that cushion away but as I mean Justin Broyles just is not good enough to play this technique 
and Pat Fields and DTY, they improved on it throughout the year, but it's not easy, and they weren't great at it either. And the reason why it's so difficult is that you're putting these guys in difficult spots. They're creeping up at the snap. They're kind of judging the receiver's route. If that receiver ends up going deep, you you got all your momentum coming forward. Therefore, you're at a disadvantage if you don't flip your hips real fast and start sprinting and catching up. And then on the other hand, if you're giving too much cushion and you're waiting for that deep route, that's an easy five or seven yard slant or out route that's free every single time. I'm just I'm not a fan of this this strategy uh, in in Oklahoma's defense, and I'm not smart enough to know why Alex Grinch does this or why he thinks this is a big part of his defense because he believes in this clearly. We've so, we saw it all season long. I don't get it though, so I need to learn more. I gotta educate myself, but it just it obviously did not work against LSU. Granted. I will say, as I was typing these notes up, there were other plays where Burrow just made great plays, great throws, and there actually were, were instances where there was some good coverage. So, uh, that's, from what I, I mean, saw, that was, when the game was still in doubt, Oklahoma did exactly what it did all year against the Big Twelve. It didn't do anything special for what I saw against LSU. And I actually, I, I thought the most demoralizing part of that entire game was in the rare instances in which OU did play good defense, LSU just made a play, and that was. Sure. And that was one of my fears going into the game, something that I saw on tape a lot. I saw, I mean, just going back and watching their games this season, I so many times over the course of the season did the other team play good defense and it didn't matter. And that's what I was most scared of and that obviously materialized during the game. Um, I, I don't know what to say. LSU, when they are humming, when they are, when they are in rhythm and when they are um, operating at, at max efficiency they are completely unstoppable. They cannot be stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that goes into just sort of where we're going into with this era of football. When you have an elite quarterback and elite pass catchers, there's no such thing as good coverage. There just isn't. That's, that's the trump card. If you, if, you have a, if you have a quarterback like Joe Burrow, and if you got, if you got two for sure first-round receivers, maybe a third one with Terrace Marshall, Marshall, you're just there's just nothing the other defense can do unless you have a ton of NFL defensive backs. I, mm-hmm. I just what else can you do? I just thought of this off the top of my head, and I absolutely hate analogizing football to like other sports. I I hate that. I I I just I don't like it because football is just so different. But I kind of thought of this what you just said there about how when you have elite quarterback play elite receivers that are putting the ball you know that can catch the ball and go up and get it it's it's indefensible it kind of made me think of in basketball where you could play great defense get your hands up but Kevin Durant's gonna nail that three even though you just played great defense on him there's nothing you can do about it he made it or uh yeah like they got the ball inside the hook shot over top of you like great defense and it went in it's like I played that perfectly there but they still scored. There's a lot of people who have, um, maybe not a lot of people, but some prominent people that are coming to my mind that have absolutely equated this new era of football with with basketball because it's a space game now. It's all about space, which is why when Oklahoma comes out in um, in 12 and 21 personnel like they did against LSU, and I know that's what they did a vast majority of the season, but when you're going up against a team like LSU and you're doing that, you're almost conceding defeat right away because you're taking an incredibly fast talented defense and you're shrinking the space and OU cannot compete like that OU's only chance in this game offensively in retrospect they had to come out with four and five wide the entire game but obviously you can't really do that when Jalen Hurts is your quarterback that was their only chance 
Their only chance was to, it out. was to put yeah. four or five receivers out there, and those receive and two of those receivers absolutely needed to be Hazelwood and Weiss, um, and and literally just throw the ball to them in space and say go do something. That was their only chance, um, and they they did not they did not go down that route. But I mean they they didn't. Once once Delaire and Turner Yell was out, and once Ronnie Perkins was out, the game was over. In retrospect, it was over completely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in retrospect, sure, sure. I mean, and to your point about again, another example of of Jalen just he's just not not the type of thrower that we've seen. I mean, uh, you know, after LSU made it fourteen to seven, the very first play of the next drive. So again, Oklahoma was down by a touchdown. Uh, Riley dials up a great call, and it's a signature Lincoln Riley play, and it's that it's that drag route. And this time, you know, last year it was Marquise Brown a lot, and the year before, this time it's Ceedee Lamb dragging across the field to the field side, so all that room behind the line of scrimmage, by the way. And on the front side of the play, you've got trips, and you set up a wall of blockers down the field, and you got a lot of the field to work with, and. You drag CD across, and you give him the football, and you let him run after the catch, which he's been fantastic all year running after the catch. Only problem in this play is that Hurts gets a little bit of pressure, and then he throws the ball at CD's feet. And he still should have been able to make this, this pass, I mean, even with the pressure, because Lamb is wide open. Just throw it up there make it catchable. That's it, but he threw it in the dirt. And you know who knows how many yards after the catch Lamb would have picked up. I, I, you know, And this was kind of one of the plays, too. After it happened, Lamb, you could, he, he looked a little frustrated. He's like, come on, man. Like, get me the ball. Like, I, I had a lot of room to work with there. And then the very next play, they called a pretty creative, like, fake reverse that Jeremiah Hall was going to have a ton of room to run. But Hertz's pass was batted down by the defender that was on Hall that left Hall to go get Hertz. And, I mean, that's tough. I, I don't know if he could have somehow gotten away from the defender to make sure it wasn't batted down. But if he good play by the pass, defender, Hall, but it's a play you got to make if you're Hertz. Right. I mean, and I mean, Hall has a lot of room to run there because there's nobody up the sideline because Oklahoma ran the corners out smartly like you know they've seen on film. And so it's like, God, I mean, those are those are two plays that could have been major explosive plays, but they weren't. And after that, third and 10, 14 to seven, just to remind you again, LSU with the touchdown lead. That's the time when Hurts threw that ball up to Jaden Hazelwood. He's dragged down by Stingley and they don't call a, call a pass interference. There's no flag. And that's that's the second moment uh, after the Parnell Motley one where it's like and this was obviously just bad luck. I mean, that's terrible officiating. It was an obvious P.I. And, you know, it should have been first down Oklahoma across the 50 yard line. But instead, they're punting the football down by a touchdown with four minutes left in the first quarter. And I know time has gone by, but I mean, that was that was ridiculous. I, there's no other, no other way to put it. I mean, it was a blatantly horrible missed call. I mean, that. Did that kind of make make you think? Okay, this is not going to yeah, be Oklahoma's yeah, day, Grant. Yeah, that's when I started to. Uh, that's when I started to lose my cool a little bit. Started to just get really frustrated. Um, I think I had texted you kind of shortly after that. I, 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 I think I just I just very bluntly told you I'm really upset with how this game is going right now. Um, and I guess yeah, I mean that's 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 very that's lightly said, you know, for for what came next. But yeah, I mean, what what else can you say other than it was just a it was just awful. All of it was terrible. Like I, I don't. That game was a was an abject nightmare as an OU fan. It was that 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 game is 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 the worst case scenario across the board for Oklahoma. It it was 
It was a really awful game. All right, I'm going to have to pick and choose here because I think we got to get done in like the next 20 minutes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up skipping a lot of stuff. But uh, some of the main things I think will give us the best um, discussions. Let's see here. Um, all right. Um, well, do you want to talk about Buki? Yeah, that's where I was going to get to. All right. So but, I mean, but also then what can we say about that? Because that already hasn't been said. I know. It was the most boneheaded maybe least self-aware football play I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, here's what I'll say then. I'll just once again reiterate, because it's been three weeks, roughly, whatever, since the game. Let me just lay out the scenario of when it happened and just it adds to why it was so dumb. So it looks like Oklahoma's defense is going to get off the field. At this point, it's 21-7, to early second quarter. All right, They're down by two scores. It's not looking good, but still, two scores is, is doable with Oklahoma's offense. Everybody knows that. They've got LSU in a third and 10 at their own 20. Third and 10s didn't happen really at all in that game. And they're able to rush Burrow out to his right, and there's nobody open. Oklahoma's playing really good coverage in this in this play. But then all of a sudden, as you're watching it live, there's this huge amount of space that just opens up right in front of Joe Burrow. And you're like, wait, where did all that space come from? And he scrambles, and it's like, oh, my God, he just got the first down, 10 yards. Like, Oklahoma almost got the – like, what the heck? And then you see the replay. And you see Brendan Radley Hiles do one of the dumbest things I've ever seen on a football field. He just smokes Clyde Edwards Hilaire from the blind side. He goes up high, just for absolutely no reason at all. Just it seemed to be just so hey, let's just make a big hit because you know, hey man, that's what football's all about, right? Just those big hits. Like imposing your will. Like, yeah, football. And that's I'm sorry, like that's kind of what it comes off to me as. And the hit takes him completely out of the play which is why watching it live all of that space opened up and burrow had that clear path for a first down and you know initially it, it, he got away with it but then like ed orgeron was talking to the refs and obviously else had the ball so they, they didn't snap it and they got their attention then asked him to review it and he gets tossed out for targeting but i mean it's 21 to 7 third and 10 oklahoma still very much in the game it's third and long. You're about to get off the field. And Bradley Hiles, he's in perfect position to make this play. You just you follow along with Edward Sealair. You take that throw away from Burrow. If he wants to make that throw, you're there to break it up or tackle him right away. If Burrow turns up field, you go and make the tackle short of the first down. He even had Marcus Stripling coming from behind to help out, although Stripling stumbled and fell down and it looked like a lot what happened to Kenneth Murray early in the game when he stumbled and fell down in that stupid play where Burrow threw it up and I was say, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't I'm surprised you didn't talk about that play that occurred when it was well, 14 I, to 7 well it's because I'm trying to because we're short that, on time that's that why. was the most absurd play of the game that play was absurd that is one of the luckiest craziest football plays I've seen in a long time yeah it it's everything from the beginning. I mean, Kenneth Murray's got a beat on him. And then, of course, somebody sniped him from, like, the upper deck. He just, like, starts tripping. And that gave Burrow, like, an extra split second of time. And even the David Ogbuebu's, like, closing in. And he's able to just throw it up. And, of course, the receiver goes out of bounds. But you look at the replay. And if there's enough contact between him and Trey Brown that it's like, yep, that's technically Trey Brown forcing him out of bounds. So, therefore, he's allowed to come back in and establish and be the first to touch it and it's just like yeah like i can't i I can't stress enough 
how monumentally of a terrible decision that was for Joe Burrow. And he just got bailed out by fate. Well, it's almost like it's 21 to, or 14 to 7, and he's like, yeah, my team's awesome. My offense is awesome. I'm awesome. Like, I'm going to take a chance here. Instead of throwing this away and punting, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Whatever. I'm just going to throw it up there. No, that was definitely we'll his right. thought process. His thought process was, I'm yeah. going to throw it really high in the air, and I'm going to bet that my 6'4 receiver is going to catch it over their you know, sub-six-foot defensive backs. That I'm, I'm sure if you asked him, that was his calculation, but it was happening so quickly, it was nothing more than just a terrible decision on his part. <sighs> yeah, I, that was bad. I mean, I, I have a lot of stuff on this, yeah. this and I know, like Bradley Hiles play, but you know what? I'm, I'll just... Just don't. I mean, I, the, the game was I'm awful. It, it right was now. a terrible game. OU got, got their butts absolutely handed to them. That, that, was, that was the most lopsided defeat... I have ever seen as an OU fan. That was worse. That was worse than fifty-five to nineteen. That was worse than when Baylor came into Norman and pulled down their pants in two thousand fourteen. That was that was the most lopsided OU game probably ever. I wasn't around in the nineties when when John Blake was here. <laughs> right, right. So I mean, I I count that as a, a play where if if Radley Hiles just plays it right. I mean, if he's just not an idiot because it's right in front of him and he just all of the snaps and all the games that football has played in his life that should have been like it was an easy play the hardest part would have been tackling Joe Burrow which is not an easy thing to do especially when you're Brendan Radley Hiles you're not the best tackler but he was going towards the sideline he maybe he could have pushed him out of bounds either way you know Oklahoma gets off the field they're down by two scores who knows what happens but instead it's a first down and it's still 21 to 7 and then I had one more kind of you know if if type play and it came a couple plays after that where uh, it's first down and 10, and Burrow throws a curl to Thaddeus Moss, and Trey Brown, Trey Brown, great break on the ball, almost picks it off. And it would have been six the other way. Remember that play? Honestly, no, I don't. No, see, yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's just another kind of similar to the Motley one where it's like it wasn't right to him, but – it's just, it's a play that needs to be made when you're Oklahoma and your margin of error is so small. I mean, it's it's going for a touchdown the other way. There's nobody there. Trey Brown's one of the fast guys on the field. That makes it 21-14 to 14 with 12 minutes to go in the second quarter. Oklahoma's got some momentum. Who knows what happens next? I mean, LSU's going to win the game, but it's just, you got to make these plays. It's crazy so you bring up these instances where, oh, you just had to make a play, had to make a play. It was 14-7. to 7, It was 21-7. to 7. It was, was, Wasn't it 49-7 to 7 at halftime? I don't even know. Embarrassing. I stopped watching. I, I, I forgot. Just, so I mean, yeah, because then because then that's when I, I think that's when they really started to to understand what they had on on Jefferson versus Broyles, and then they just what else can we say? They picked that scab the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah, plenty of uh, you know, split safeties coming down to play man and getting beat. And Woody Washington was a victim a couple times. Uh, you know, one of the plays I saw in here, like it was just, it was pretty good coverage actually, and it was just a great throw, as good adjustment. And, you know, so back to what you said earlier, it's like even when Oklahoma was in pretty good position, LSU still made plays. So, um, all right, that's, that's I was gonna say, like it. I said, yeah. tons of sour grapes. I hate LSU, but I mean, they're better. It's a better program than OU. Very obviously, they have better players. They recruit better players. I. I don't know. I, I'm I'm at a loss. OU's got a lot of work to do to get on that level, and I'm not even sure geographically and resource wise if it's even possible. 
that's I, I think that's where a lot of the apathy is coming from uh, in the aftermath of everything as well. So yeah, I rewatched it up bef- until it was thirty-five to seven, and there was still nine minutes to go in the second quarter. Uh, by the way, it was forty-nine to fourteen at halftime. Uh, so and just one last just a little thought as I was watching up before 35 seven, not one uh, sign of Jaden Davis on the field. So like, I remember we were texting about this. I think I tweeted about it at the time. Like maybe I'd missed him. I, it was, you know, Woody Washington came in obviously when, when Radley Hiles got kicked out of the game, but I know Jaden Davis came in later. I remember seeing him later in the game, but uh, before it was 35 to seven, he wasn't playing. So I have no idea what happened with that, but I mean, he was so he was pretty good this year. That leaves, that really begs the question, how on earth is he not out there just covering somebody man-to-man? I don't know. So I don't know. Something happened. Unless, I, I unless, yeah, unless he just wasn't healthy. Or, title game, or maybe, yeah, maybe he was injured. I, so just a, just a note that, yeah, one of the better defensive backs this year for Oklahoma uh, was not playing, really. And I don't know why. And unfortunately, I wasn't at the game. I wasn't uh, able to really ask questions in that was certainly not really on anybody's mind after a game like that because it was such a blowout. But uh, just throwing it out there, maybe we'll learn more about that as uh, spring ball comes around. So let's shift uh, the last kind of like before we go. Let's let's just do the Jalen Hurts thing. Um, and I don't know if we're going to do any re- three word reviews. I, I apologize, guys, but uh, it's been three weeks. So go on the West of Evers Facebook page, Twitter, my Twitter. You know, you can you can see him. Appreciate your your feedback, but uh, you know Sydney on our Facebook page put this out there in the last couple of weeks. He said that uh, Sydney says, guys, I want to hear your thoughts on Jalen Hurts and his overall time at Oklahoma. He says, here are my thoughts. I don't know if I'm in the minority in thinking this, but I'm so glad he's gone. He was terrible, and the fact that he was the Heisman runner-up might be the most impressive thing that Lincoln Riley has ever done. I was at the game. Okay, wow. Okay, so Sydney, God, I'm sorry, Sydney. Whew. Uh, he says, I was at the game, this is Sydney's Facebook post, and an Oklahoma fan in our section said, quote, why is Jalen Hurts in the game, end quote. And an LSU fan said, quote, he's carried you guys this far. Why would you turn on him now, end quote. Sydney says, that absolutely infuriated me. The notion that Jalen Hurts carried this team is so misguided and ignorant. And that's Sydney's uh, Facebook post. And hearing from, I, I know you probably listen, a lot of you listen to this podcast, probably also listen to the Sooner Scoop podcast. Those guys do, do a great job. Uh, Carrie and Eddie and Bob and uh, Josh. And I, I know they kind of talked about Jalen Hurts and kind of that whole thing about how the SEC and the LSU, that that narrative of you know Jalen Hurts carrying this team. And I kind of got that sense too in New York for the Heisman Trophy. Whereas like we all know that we watched this team. No, it was the other way around. I mean, it, with the exception of the Baylor second half where Hurts was very good. But the reason why Oklahoma was down so so much for a big part is because Hurts did not play very well in the first half. Oklahoma uh, carried Jalen Hurts more than Jalen Hurts carried Oklahoma, and we all know that. Um, so, Grant, I'll uh, – you see Sydney's thoughts. I don't know if, if you've really crystallized your thoughts on Hurts yet. Uh, I know I have, but uh, you want to take the first crack at this? Sure. You know, I don't – like, because I don't have any ill will towards Jalen Hurts at all, and I, th- I thought he had a great season. Um, but having that been said, is he is he severely limited as a passer? You bet he is. Um, I, I think I even made the comment to you. I, I, I think he's probably the least talented OU passer in terms of arm talent, probably since Paul Thompson in the 2006 season, I, I would say. Um, Man, and I thought the ball, I mean, I don't know about Paul Thompson's accuracy, but like the ball kind of jumped out of his hand. I mean, yeah, like, and I even, thought, arm. I even thought Paul Thompson might have more arm talent than, than Jalen Hurts, yeah. Um, 
having that been said, I thought Jalen. I think Jalen Hurts is tough as hell, and the and the way that he was able to run the ball this season, I thought was really unique and interesting. Um, what Sidney says about uh, Lincoln Riley, this being maybe his best job ever, getting Jalen Hurts as, as the runner up in the Heisman. Yeah, you are right on about that, Sydney. One hundred percent right. Um, and I think part of this has has kind of creeped into my mind the last the last uh, two two and a half weeks. Lee is once Spencer Rattler is in control of everything and he's throwing to these highly touted receivers, is that just going to make everything feel so much better? Especially if there's success <laughs> and they're putting up passing numbers like they have in the past. Is everything just is everyone just going to kind of maybe take a deep breath if that's the case? Um, because I, I I've started to think and I think if you watch the national championship game on Monday night, this is even more clear now that in order to win at a high level, your your offense absolutely has to be predicated on throwing it forty times a game. I I think that's fairly certainly fairly obvious now um, because I think any sort of really good defense with with multiple weeks to prepare and NFL guys in the front seven is going to take away your run game pretty freaking easily. Um, and so when you when you look at it through that lens, it, it just, OU's chances in the Peach Bowl just weren't great at all. Um, mm-hmm. But going back to Jalen Hurts, yeah, you're right. He's just a guy who is severely limited in the passing game. And what we saw Joe Burrow do this season and, and Trevor Lawrence to some extent and Tua and Kyler and Baker throughout the years... Jalen Hurts physically is not capable of any of that stuff. And I think it's pretty obvious that mentally he's not there either, just in terms of processing no. speed and whatnot. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I, Jalen, Jalen Hurts just put forth a really unique season in which I thought he was... He, he, and I, this comparison was made a lot over the course of the year, but he, he was essentially Colin Klein this season for Oklahoma. And once it got to the um, to the big time, very much like it did with Colin Klein in his big time season, he just couldn't make throws against NFL players that he went up against in the bowl game. And um, it sucks right now because the the wound is still fresh and it's there. Um, but I don't know. Like I said, I think once once Spencer Rattler is in here, and 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 them completing you know uh, passes downfield is, is part of their base offense again. I think everyone's going to kind of step back, take a deep breath, and they might even start to appreciate Jalen Hurts' time here because I, I think he's a great Sooner. He's obviously someone who really loved being at Oklahoma, I think. Yeah, no, I hope you're right. I hope you're about, right about Rattler. Obviously, he'll be, you know, have a lot to, lot to learn, but it's good that he's got this one year under his belt. Uh, that'll certainly help him with the offense moving forward. Uh, and it's just, yeah, his limitations as a passer is just even more obvious when you compare him to the other guys we saw in that playoff. I mean, the two guys from Monday night in the title game, and then even and also Fields too. It's just, yeah. I don't it's just wanna, night and day. It's just, yeah, like with Fields, I, I still think he's got he's got a ways to go in terms of processing sure. and whatnot. He, he's better but, than I thought he. But was man, going you to can be, see though. with Fields, you can see the ability just dripping off of him though. Like it's yeah. it's so apparent. Just like when you watch Trevor Lawrence, how apparent it is. Um, mm-hmm. but and he was, I mean, he was just random. I mean, he was off. Trevor Lawrence had Lawrence. a, I mean, had he, a very poor game he, on Monday night. That was of course another throws back to, you know, how much of that was LSU's defense. How much of that was just uh back to what you said earlier about how LSU has been very, pretty fortunate. They got a bad Trevor Lawrence game, <laughs> bad but, Trevor sorry, Lawrence I, game. And outside of the first quarter, a bad Clemson offensive coordinator game. My goodness. <laughs> Oof. Uh, yeah. Um, let's, I just, I'll, 
give a couple thoughts on Hertz real quick since you had a lot of good stuff to say. Uh, I obviously have the same feelings when it comes to you know his arm talent, and I'm just I'm ready for him to to be moving on, and I'm I'm ready for Oklahoma to to once again have a quarterback who is able to display some upper level arm talent and the decision making that it takes to 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 run Lincoln Riley's you know passing concepts in this offense at a high level. I'm just that I'm happy that Lincoln Riley was able to get the most out of Hurts, but it's just it severely limits him as a play caller. And I, just kind of from a media perspective, again, I know that kind of, you know, Eddie had some thoughts on Jalen and, and I know like all the media side too. And, you know, it's good. Yeah. I, it was very interesting and I'm, I'm, I was interested and happy to, to hear him kind of come out about that stuff. You know, I, I wasn't a big fan of his attitude early on in the season, going back to spring ball too. It's just kind of the way he is, you know, but you know, Oklahoma, you know, going into the, the first seven games, they're winning football games. So it's just like, I kind of thought it was like, you know what, this is kind of what he's doing. They're winning. Um, uh, He's putting on a kind of a gruff attitude publicly, but you know who knows behind the scenes. You know he seems like everyone gets, likes him, gets along with him. Uh, I do think that Kansas State loss humbled him a little bit. Uh, I do think that this season gave him a little bit more respect for the Big Twelve than maybe he otherwise had leading into it. Especially, I think it, it gave him some some respect for another huge college football rivalry game, OU Texas. Uh, you know, kind of before that game, he kind of was giving off vibes. It's like, yeah, I played in the Iron Bowl before, whatever. I mean, I've done stuff like this, but like, you kind of got the sense that after OU Texas and like his big old smile and they won, it's like this is different. And not to mention, he he didn't play all that well in that game. And it's like, man, you he didn't play you all that help. well in any game post Texas. Yeah. Um, besides besides second half of Baylor, really. So yeah, yeah. I, so and again, I, I got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, he was very kind. Very humble in New York City when I was there for the Heisman Trophy ceremony along with Dean. Um, and he's just, he's a really good person and a really good kid. And he's revered in the SEC. They love him. And, and for good reason. He, he does the right thing. He makes good decisions. Um, I'm happy, though, his presence as Oklahoma's quarterback is just going to last one year. Uh, again, I'm, I'm just, I'm more than ready to kind of move on from that on the football field. And it's not fair, probably, but. You know, the handful of just missed opportunities, throws, decision-making, and the Peach Bowl, uh, it, just, it makes it really easy to, to kind of close up shop on that 2019 season with Jalen Hurts and just kind of move on and hope for the more talented quarterback. That, that's kind of where I'm at with, with that. You know, I, I genuinely, I say this genuinely, and, you know, why wouldn't I? I mean, I, I do wish him the best, obviously. He seems like a really good guy. Um, I do think, I hope he has an open mind when it comes to the pros and the NFL because I'd be surprised if he gets a legitimate chance to play quarterback. So, like, if he wants to play in the pros, I don't think he's an NFL player at all. To be honest with you, at any position, and, like his right, yeah, I don't know where he would fit in. I mean, his his speed. I mean, his speed from week one and week two to to now. I mean, maybe he's been injured. You know, there's a good chance he's been kind of banged up. I mean, obviously he was banged up and hit all year. And you made a good point about his toughness. I'm glad you said that because you know what, the hits he took and the fact that he never missed a game or a snap. Uh, you you got to give him credit for that, a hundred percent. That dude is tough. You're exactly right about that. Yeah, I think this is one of those seasons where if it would have... And th this is just to put a bow on everything here because I think we're going to move on. Um, I think, obviously, if the season would have ended differently, I think a lot of people would probably be feeling a lot a lot different right now. Of course, 63-28 to 28 is going to... You know, is going to leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Um, but I... I just want to go back to a year ago at this point when I think at this point we, we already knew Jalen Hurts was he might have already been on campus at this point. Um, and I think people were, were questioning what what was Lincoln Riley's what was his goal? What was what was he trying to do here? 
And I think looking back at it now, a year later, I think we can say what the decision that Lincoln Riley made, I think that was the right decision. If, if, if nothing more for j- just the fact that this offensive line that is now going to return its top six players next season, they took their lumps with a, with a veteran Jalen Hurts back there and not Spencer Rattler just getting killed back there. Because I, I, think one of the, I think one of the things that was pretty obvious in this, uh, in this Peach Bowl that wasn't particularly obvious uh, based off the opponents that they played this season, OU's offensive line this year wasn't that good. It's just that they got exposed quite a bit against LSU, especially on the, on the edges at, at the tackle positions. Um, See, I just I don't subscribe to that. I, I've heard that a couple of times. I, I still think it was a it was a really good offensive line. And relatively I'm, speaking, I, maybe. But going up against NFL players in the front there like LSU, they, they couldn't hang with them. They just couldn't. I mean, there was there was chances. There was opportunities. And just uh, that just uh, the offensive line wasn't the problem. I mean, R.J. Proctor did not belong on the same field with a lot of those guys in, in that Peach Bowl. Uh, Kalevin Shassan. I ate his lunch the entire game. Well, I mean, go back to what you said. I mean, what was LSU's defensive game plan? I mean, bow up against the run and stop it no matter what and force Jalen to beat you through the air. And, uh, you know, yeah, I'm just saying, to, but like to run block whenever you're going to, you know, face that kind of pressure. And it was up to Jalen to, to make some throws and and Riley schemed up some big plays for him and he, he couldn't hit. You know, there's a couple he just couldn't hit. I so. agree that then, the offensive line was probably made to look worse based off of, of, of what Jalen Hurts was doing or not doing. But at the same time, I mean, he was, Proctor and whatnot, was still just getting beat off the edge very consistently. Um, and Creed Humphrey didn't even have a good game. He was getting beat pretty consistently. So, you know, it's, but it, it happens. I mean, this was, this was an offensive line that was not healthy this year consistently at all. A ton of new starters. There's going to be some warts, and that's okay. And, and, you know, for all of that, they did put some really good football on tape as well. There were instances where they did play really well. Um, and there, and you know, there's, there's reinforcements on the way. So I, I did just want to put that out there. I thought the whole Jalen hurts thing in the end was a success. It really was to all the people out there saying that's that Rattler would have been better in this offense and whatnot. I don't think you can definitively say that at all. You never know what a true freshman, how they're going to react to pressure or an offensive line crumbling around them. You just don't know. Um, and, and OU was in some dogfights this year, and and I'm glad that Jalen Hurts was their quarterback in, in, in at least some of them. So um, OU wasn't going to win a national championship this year, guys. It just wasn't going to happen. No. Uh, this was a this was a transition year, and I'm pretty sure what Lincoln Riley did, he made the calculation that I would prefer in a transition year to make the playoff, and that's what happened. All right, we got to start wrapping up here. I, we haven't talked about this at all. I mean, maybe uh, I, I don't know what your week looks like the rest of the week, but I, maybe there's a situation, maybe either Wednesday or Thursday. I don't know if you'd be available to do another quick one to talk about these other topics. I don't know. Yeah, we but, got so much good stuff yeah. to talk about. We got yeah. their geez, man, their their number one quarterback in the next class decommitted. Creed Humphrey's coming back. Kenneth Murray, we could, we confirmed he's gone. Same with CD. We also have uh, Theo Howard is transferring. There's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, I don't know if I mean, do you have anything this uh, you know, Wednesday or Thursday evening this week that would prevent you from being available, like you know, between my newscasts on uh, or you don't have to tell me now, but you know, maybe we'll be able to do another quick one so we don't cut this short. But I gotta, 
I have a uh, personal thing I gotta. Yeah, I don't think actually. Uh, I, I don't think for, that so. I have any uh, any engagements this week. Okay, so we'll we'll effort. We'll try to get another podcast out to you all because I know you're gonna. Some of you will probably see this, and you'll see the length will be about an hour or so. And you know, I think that's, what, that's good for a podcast. I think what but you'll most probably people, be disappointed. We don't have more stuff to talk about. I think what most people want to hear us talk about anyway, Lee, is is what comes next. What what are we looking like for next year? And because honestly, man, I just. I don't ever want to think about that Peach Bowl ever again. That's fine. And, you know, it's full disclosure. It's difficult for me right after a season ends to gather all my thoughts about what's next because there's so long. We have so much time to talk about that. So we got spring uh, football I mean, coming up here pretty soon, though. Yeah. Relatively soon. Uh, they're already back at it. Uh, they're already back at it working out. I saw Benny Wiley had an Instagram post Monday and, uh, I can confirm that, well, I guess I don't know if they're, they were there, but I can confirm that at least two of the players are back in Oklahoma because uh, when I was flying back from Los Angeles on Sunday, I had TJ Pledger and the aforementioned Brendan Radley-Hiles on my flight. So obviously coming back uh, after the Peach Bowl was done, I'm sure they're at home with family during Christmas break and all that stuff. So uh, just a bit of a random thing I noticed and, uh, you know, it was good to go to L.A. I'm glad I did, didn't miss my trip, although it would have been nice if Oklahoma was in the title game. But let's be real. That that was never going to happen. So, um, All right. So, I, I mean, it'd be weird if we didn't talk about LSU. I mean, do you, I don't have a lot to say about LSU-Clemson. We talked about it a little bit, I guess, kind of. But I thought Clemson was going to win. Uh, I, I just thought that defensively they had the horses to give LSU problems. And I thought offensively, uh, was the the real key to it because again LSU's defense was good but it wasn't like elite awesome and I thought Clemson has been there before they have these big time you know five star future NFL players plus you got Trevor Lawrence who can actually run a little bit unlike Jalen Hurts now uh, that can kind of stretch him and we saw LSU with problems against running quarterbacks uh, and it looked good at seventeen to seven for Clemson but then it just LSU LSU'd and uh, it just Lawrence didn't play very well. And uh, another national title game I was dead wrong about ended up being. So I don't have many thoughts, Grant, but do you? I thought the first half of that game was maybe the best first half of any game I've seen this year. Uh, it just felt like a heavyweight bout. Guys just throwing haymakers at each other, uh, especially right at the beginning. I, I was fired up watching that game in the beginning when it became clear that Clemson came out with a really, really developed game plan for LSU's offense. And it looked like that Clemson's offense was going to be on attack mode the entire time uh, so I was I was gearing up for what I thought was going to be an epic game and then it became pretty clear pretty much right I thought kind of when the, the second half started uh, that LSU was was quite a bit better and they were going to pull away so hats off to them they were better they deserved to win they I think everyone talking about how them being one of the best teams of all time is 100% warranted yeah I agree and I have avoided all sports radio talk and podcasts because I just I I don't want to hear about sure how awesome and, and also and, and also like we what what I don't even think there is a debate over that LSU team is absolutely by far the best passing offense in college football history it, it has no equals not even close I agree I'm not gonna argue with you there all right that is it for today we will try to get another episode out uh, to you all later this week with more 
more kind of future topics. And then, yeah, we'll talk, you know, maybe we'll do another one of those podcasts where I know you hate these, but we go back and we look at some of our predictions early in the year from our big preview pod and see if, you know, how that turned out. I kind of think those are fun, but uh, it takes a little extra time. We'll see. But um, again, we'll try to effort one to you later this week with more content about OU, about what to expect later on and kind of all that other fun stuff. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.